From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host. Hi, and welcome back to the OCFA Pass Along Podcast. My name is Jeff Hughes, and I'm a fire captain currently assigned to risk management as the Cancer Awareness and Prevention Captain. I'm going to be your host for this podcast, actually for this six-part series on our podcast. We're doing something a little different than normal. On October 24th and 25th, the OCFA hosted a behavioral health conference titled Past, Present, and Future. Since then, we've been preparing the presentations from that event so we can make them available to everyone who wasn't able to attend. You can find the video versions of the presentations in our show notes of each podcast episode as well as on Vimeo on the OCFA page. This is the fifth podcast in our six-part series and features Florida Firefighter Safety and Health Collaborative Clinician Awareness Program Participant Psychiatrist Marie Guma Jelinek. Here's Marie. Certainly the next uh, group of speakers that we have, uh, their story really represents the present of the entire uh, the program that we've set up from past, present, and future. Uh, this is the present because Coral Springs in Parkland, Florida, South Florida, they have a first-rate firefighter safety and health program already established. One of the speakers here, Captain Bader, is the founder of the Florida Firefighter Safety and Health Collaborative, a very proactive program that works with the entire state for firefighter safety and health initiatives. Um, So when you look at a department that's already kind of identified either the, whether you're talking about the cancer awareness and prevention piece or the behavioral health, you know that the issue's already been talked about and there's already been forward movement to try to deal with this thing. Well, 245, 2.40 Eastern Standard Time, February 14th, 2018, a mass shooting occurred at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. 17 people were tragically killed and 15 more hospitalized, making it amongst one of the most deadly school shootings in modern U.S. history. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School incident represents the present, the present in this conference. Please welcome the Florida Firefighter Safety and Health Collaborative um, Cl- Clinician Awareness Program participant, psychiatrist, Dr. Maria Guma Jelinek. So I was asked to uh, talk to you guys about uh, the clinical testimony of what it was like to be a clinician and going through um, the clinician awareness training. I did uh, complete a doctoral program in clinical psychology. I was in practice for 11 years. I had private practice in Coral Gables um, for two years. Um, I was asked to be a, a the department head for a detox um, after burning out from you know desperate housewives and uh, Department of Children and Family Organizations. Um, so, first time ever with uh, related to substance abuse issues um, was at the the detox, um, and I fell in love with the industry. 
I've been working with as an executive uh, for Substance Abuse Treatment Center for eight years now in South Florida. Um, so how does somebody who's a clinician and um, work with substance abuse treatment centers get to Orange County for a symposium um, with firefighters. Um, so at a treatment center that I worked at, we had a substance use disorder program. So I sat in front of uh, an FOP president and um, I told him about this great substance abuse program that we have for first responders. It was run by a licensed mental health practitioner who was a retired firefighter. You know, gave him the whole spiel, and an hour later, he's like, you know, I just don't see our guys asking for help. And that shocked me. Um, and I took off my hat, whatever hat I was wearing, and I put my clinician hat back on, and I said, what can I do to, to help? How can I help to help your guys as you know have that reduce that stigma and go up and ask for help they had just had a one of their police officers commit suicide in their squad, squad in his squad car in their parking lot and i couldn't believe that he was saying i don't think they'll ask for help um in my doctoral program oh that's loud um in my doctoral program there was a Florida State Trooper who was getting his doctorate in clinical psych and uh, he brought in pictures of what first responders see for all the clinicians at the school. Um, and I think I didn't eat for three days after seeing those pictures. It was extremely impactful. And so when that FOP president said to me, I don't think they're going to ever ask for help after seeing just pictures of what you guys see, um, it, it shocked me. So for seven years, and I call myself the crazy Venezuelan, um, crazy Venezuelan was showing up to fire chiefs and police chiefs talking about mental health, and um, you could only imagine where that got me. Um, I got a couple free lunches and no free dinners, though. Um, so. So I, I'm telling them, look, I can reduce the stigma. All I have to do is educate them. Educate them on how mental health processes is a physiological response in your body, just like anything else. And I think that once they know that, they won't attribute it to weakness or to a character flaw, and they'll ask for help. Um, didn't get much response. Um, I also, in these seven years, were getting called was getting called with um, firefighters and police officers who were suffering from substance abuse. So I knew it was going on. Um, best friends married to firefighters and police officers. So I knew the marital stuff that was going on because my friends were calling me with the issues. Um, so I became um, part or actually started the Key Ciders, which is with Key Biscayne Fire Department. and. Um, we started educating the community because it was it's a very affluent like parkland average home costs seven hundred thousand um in key biscayne the average home costs like 1.2 um so you know these rich kids were overdosing 
and they were, you know, fire departments narcanning these kids over and over and over again, and they're saying they're not using anything. So fire chief was like, what's going on? So I came in, we developed a, a, a program to educate. We saw like 250 families um, and just educating kids from 11 and over uh, because like Bader said, it's about prevention. Somehow I got enveloped with all these other fire and police departments and um, so for seven years I've been you know, exposed somewhat. Um, but it wasn't really until the clinical awareness program um, that I have felt um, the doors have opened more to the education on the clinical part, on the physiological part. Um, so that's how I got here. So this is um, my perspective of those two days um, that Captain Bader is talking about. So when you first sit down day one of the clinical awareness program, you get a book that probably weighs like five pounds. Um, and it's a book of all your, like your language. Like I will later be sitting with you <laughs> so you can explain all that beginning part because I have no idea what you said. <laughs> a lot of the lingo is completely different. Um, you know, what's a Kelly day? Uh, what's ABC shift? Like we, as a clinician, we don't know all those things. Um, so we had to learn, you know, he, he gave us a, a huge, he calls it the, the Rosetta Stone for firefighters, yeah. Um, so we get exposed to the culture, um, you know, what it's like, what firefighters are like, why they joke, um, stuff like that. Then we had Dustin Hawkins share his story. Even as a clinician, um, when he, they started sharing their stories, because on day two you get testimonies as well, some of the thoughts that I had and, and some of the other clinicians were like, oh my God, wait a minute. You mean firefighters have feelings? You know, they're not like these superheroes. They get affected by the stuff they see. Um, these are thoughts that as a clinician, really, I, I never really had um, until you begin to see them opening up. And they're still functioning. So I, I had them with the guys that were suffering with substance abuse about to get fired and needing services. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, well, they're desperate and maybe that's why they're opening up. But, you know, this, you know, the, it was just amazing to me. Um, and I think that that is probably seen within a lot of communities or what, how a community sees first responders, right? So, which feeds into the culture that you guys are superheroes, that you can't feel or can't um, you know, be affected by the stuff you see. And then we get to wear the bunker gear. Um, so wearing the bunker gear and said, I felt like I was a superhero in an armored suit carrying the weight of the world. But if not handled appropriately, it could also drown you. And that's exactly how I felt when I was wearing that. Um, my most unexpected reaction was when I put the SCBA, I'm a diver, um, and if you asked me to go jump out of an airplane, I'd probably be like, okay, let's go. So it's not like I'm scared or, you know, not an adrenaline junkie. Um, and when I put that on, I almost hyperventilated. And then when they took us into a building and I could not see the hand in front of me, 
I realized at that point, uh, like, I'm trying not to curse, um, holy cow, <laughs> like, you guys walk into a building completely blind, putting your life at risk. Um, that was something that, that I got from, from that um, part of the, the training. Um, so in day two, we do the station visits. Um, so we learn about why there's three refrigerators and two of them are locked. Um, you know, <laughs> and the impressions that I got was like, uh, first of all, it was a, like a home. The stations had the living room, it was the kitchen, everybody's always in the kitchen and talking. And um, so that was, that was really cool. Um, the, the testimonies after the station visits um, were also clinically very um, eye-opening because we had the guys that were giving stories about, you know, having a plan to commit suicide and literally having their plan stopped by fate, just by something happening and, and ha having them stopped. Um, and we had um, testimonies from firefighters that were affected by one call and couldn't shake it for years. So as a clinician, that's important because if we would have heard all the testimonies are about suicide, I may have thought every single firefighter that's gonna sit in front of me is suicidal, and that's not the case. There's a whole you know, spectrum of things um, that you may be exposed to. Um, so since November and um, meeting with a lot of clinicians um, that have gone through the clinician awareness program afterwards, I realized that there's two types. There's a little kid excitement um, there's the ones that are like, what do you mean we're not going to repel off the tower? You know, what do you mean we're not going to go into a live fire? Um, and then there's the ones who just start to grow to appreciate it. I've seen that within our own clinical response team at Coral Springs Parkland, the CRT team. Um, age has a lot to do with it. Older ladies are more like, they've grown to appreciate it. Um, the other thing is that through these, this time, I've realized how similar clinicians are to um, firefighters. So clinicians make jokes to cope with stuff that we're dealing with, um, jokes that I would never tell a room full of first responders, but I would tell um, a room full of clinicians. Um, we also detach. We have to detach from our patients so that we can be effective. Um, we're also helpers. We run to a crisis instead of away from it. Um, we take work home. We also need to decompress. You know, after spending a full day listening to problems, the last thing you want to do when you get home is talk or interact or anything. So um, it, it's tough. It's, it's weight. It, you feel the weight of the world sometimes. Um, we're also extremely self-sufficient, and we don't ever need help. I'm a clinician. I'm the helper. I'm the person people come to. I don't need to go ask anyone for help. One of the things that I realized um, being exposed to the uh, firefighter world is that 
when we do the peer support and we do the station visits, um, there's always at least one person that's usually identified, um, you know, after Parkland or after the suicide that we've been doing these visits. And we can give them our card. The whole CRT team is at every station um, on a, you know, on their board with our phone numbers. Um, we don't get called ever, hardly ever. Um, so I've learned that if you, if you go and somebody gets identified, put the clinician in their face. Just any way you feel comfortable doing that, whether it is station visits and do it, you know, sometimes um, at Coral Springs Parkland, we, you know, they come up with an excuse on why that station is going to get visited um, just to be able to have a clinician go one on one and make all the guys do one on one just so that clinician can get some one on one. Um, once they do it the first time, it's going to get a lot easier for them to continue going. Um, as a clinician, that's different because um, as a clinician, if I get called and said, you know, my brother needs to talk to you, okay, have your brother call me. Because as a clinician, we want to see that initiative within the um, first responders. As clinicians, we need to eliminate that. Um, as leadership, you need to eliminate that. Just put it in their face. Um, the other thing that Kim talked about was connectedness, um, the feeling of belonging. Working eight years in the industry um, in substance abuse is every single person that's ever crossed through our doors or through my you know, phone caller, and it, they all feel like they didn't belong some time of their life. Um, and we're social beings, so it's really important one of the largest red flags is if anyone in your station is isolating when they normally are not like that, have somebody professional go in there and check them out um, before it's too late. That's the other thing. Don't, don't wait. If your gut is telling you this person, you know, there's something I don't know, and you, know, you ask them and they're like, ah, I'm good, I'm fine. You know, do something about it. Um, it's better to get to them early when they're, because there's two things we know for sure. Well, there's one thing we know for sure with mental health or like substance abuse issues. It's progressive. It's always going to get worse. If you're diagnosed with depression, if you don't get treatment, it's gonna get worse. Like if you're diagnosed with cancer, you don't get treatment, it's gonna get worse. So, um, do it before it gets to that point, and for yourselves as well. Um, if, if you have a call that you were like, wow, that really rocked me in a weird way, and go talk to somebody. Take it out of that, your system. Mantras are actually a really great thing to do, um, and so is yoga, and so is meditation. And the reason why that is is because those actually increase you know, neurochemicals in our body that we need to decrease the neurochemicals in our bodies that are um, causing the mental health stuff. So, and then the last thing that I want to say is mental health is, is a pretty, the mental health treatment is, is pretty new. Like in 1949, um, 
the Nobel Prize winner for mental health treatment was the lobotomy. That was in 1949. That wasn't that long ago. Um, we really didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know. We do now know. We know through science. We know through you know brain imaging. We know through all these what exactly is it, it is you know what neurotransmitters are up or down or you know causing these issues. It's a chemical issue and a body issue, a physiological issue, just like anything else. Um, so, with that being said, I hope that that kind of you know when you realize that it's not a character flaw, it's not something that. Um, you know, that is, should be, you should be ashamed of. Um, it's just, unfortunately, mental health has always been stigmatized because it's always been associated to things like, oh, let's cut their brain out to see if they get better. Or let's, um, you know, burn them at a stake because they're witch or they're possessed by a demon because we just didn't know. But we do know now. Um, and it was stigmatized and it shouldn't be. That's all for this episode. I encourage you to go back and listen to the other podcasts in this behavioral health series and to watch the videos. It can be helpful with the PowerPoint slides to follow along with. We hope to bring you more content like this in the future. And if you have any suggestions for future conferences, please reach out to me directly. Until then, take care of each other. We'll talk to you soon.